Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome. Those of you who know the code, that means we have two guests on the show today. This is the Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers Radio, one of our new series for 2017. What's the buzz on the street? Well, George Bernard Shaw actually is providing the buzz for today. Listen up. Both optimists and pessimists contribute to the society. The optimist invents the aeroplane. That's how he wrote it, aeroplane. The pessimist invents the parachute. Just let that sink in for a moment. Thank you, George Bernard Shaw. So what are we talking about today? Well, the aerospace and defense industry, commonly known as the A&D industry to many of you, has been at the forefront of digital transformation for many years. How? They're already using Internet of Things, IoT sensors, to track and assess performance of their equipment and improve safety. We all want that, better performance and better safety, yes. But now, with the demand for new planes and increased passenger capacity, some OEMs are considering not selling aircraft and engines. What's going on? Instead, they want to sell the performance of these machines by creating new products and services. A lot of industries are doing this, not selling the drill or selling the hole that you need, not the drill that makes it. Global industry leaders are gaining needed flexibility with an Internet of Things approach. And they're also upgrading their technology infrastructure with, you've heard us say this on many of our shows, artificial intelligence, we call that AI, machine learning, 3D printing, come on, you've seen a demo of at least one in the past five years, the cloud and analytics. So let's take a step back. Let's look at the A&D aerospace and defense industry, and let's talk about what the future will look like and what is actually shaping the future. I have two, I won't call them gurus, I don't want to embarrass them, I'll just call them two experts joining me today. Let me tell you who they are and then we'll welcome them with their opening quotes. First up in a moment, I will be introducing John H. Smith. He's a manager. I'm sorry, Managing Director at Accenture Global Aerospace and Defense. He's the lead of that practice at Accenture. Joining him on the panel today is Torsten Welty, Global VP and Head of Aerospace and Defense at SAP. Told you they were experts. So let's see what John H. Schmidt has sent me for his opening quote. Well, Four little words to pack a punch. You all remember, I think, Jerry Maguire, the 1996 American film. It actually released December 13, 1996, was the ninth top grossing film that year. They snuck it in just under the Oscar limit in December of that year. Uh, it brought in more than $273 million worldwide. And guess what? The budget was only $50 million. Most of us don't deal in millions, but 50 against 273 Obviously, there was a profit. If you're wondering who was in it, come on. Tom Cruise. Cuba Gooding Jr., I'm supposed to say Cuba instead of Cuba, and Renee Zellweger. When a sports agency has a moral epiphany, the agent, and he's fired for expressing it, he decides to put his new philosophy to the test as an independent agent with the only athlete who stays with him. If you haven't seen it, you need to. Won a lot of Academy Awards. It won Golden Globes. It won Screen Actors Guild. That's the SAG Award. So here's the quote. 
You all know what I'm going to say. Here's the quote John H. Schmidt has selected from Jerry Maguire. Show me the money. I think those are four of the most powerful words that ever came out of a movie. John Schmidt, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm doing fine, and thank you for having me, Bonnie. Oh, we're delighted to have you. Very, very del- We have to do a shout-out, of course, John, to Thomas Pohl at SAP, who put together this panel and this very exciting topic. We haven't covered A&D before. So tell me, come on, are you a big Jerry Maguire fan? Do you have posters all over your office? Do you, do you listen to the music, whatever it is? Talk, talk to me. I certainly enjoyed the movie when it came out. I mean, who can forget uh, Show Me the Money jumping up and down? But the reason I chose it was really because I think it says a lot about today. You introed the uh, segment here with a lot of things, you know, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, and there's a lot of interesting and new and cool technologies going on out there today. But ultimately what we're seeing is companies are looking at where can they see the payback? Where is the business case? In other words, show me the money. Yeah, that's cool, that's neat, but show me the money. And just like the movie, they want to make sure that when they make that investment, they get an outsized return. And that's why I chose it for today's segment. Well, I, I love it. It always conjures up that image. We we have several images, of course, in movie lore, John. You know that, of Tom Cruise jumping up and down, wearing various shades of dress and, and not quite so dressed. Uh, but this certainly was one of the better ones. I, I have a question for you, John, before I bring Torsten on. For the benefit of our audience, and we have an audience all over the world, they may not know exactly what the A&D industry is comprised of. I know I ended a sentence with a preposition, but you get the point. What exactly is aerospace industry? Defense. What kinds of companies are in this industry? Just level set for me, if you don't mind, and then we can move on. Go ahead, John. Sure. In fact, I'll break it into three segments, at least uh, okay. you know, in the simplest way of looking at it. The first one is what I'll call commercial aerospace, and that's Airbus, it's Boeing, it's the you know the engine manufacturers, it's everybody that supplies you know, products that supports commercial aerospace. The second segment I, would, I think about is defense. So that's the A, then the D, right? Aerospace, then defense. Mm-hmm. And defense is a whole wide range of products from air, aircraft, maritime, land attack. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of uh, diversity of uh, you know, products, in some cases, services, systems that are part of defense. And then the third is really space, a space launch, satellite, space-based services. So in the, I mean, my simple world, it's those three things, commercial, aerospace, defense, and then uh, space Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. I did some looking up. I actually, John, went to great lengths to try and find a quote about the A&D industry, and I really couldn't. I found some funny um, airplane pilot quotes about, you know, pilot C to Tower 1 and all kinds of jokey stuff, but I really couldn't find anything. Did you like my my quote about optimists and pessimists from George Bernard Shaw? No, I liked it a lot, although, you know, I, I'm not sure the uh, pessimist uh, picked up uh, the uh, parachute. It might have been an optimist, because the idea for me <laughs> to jump out of a perfectly good airplane and pull a parachute, that might, might be the, quite the thing I'm going to do. There you go. I also understand that some v- small private planes today are equipped with an airplane parachute. Have you seen those demos? Have you seen those planes? I have not seen them demoed. I have read about them, and I've seen photos of them in action. I yes. will just say that I've been in a number of smaller private planes, and I hope I never have to test it. I agree. A relative of mine just bought his own plane. He's a pilot now, and he flies up and back between Washington, D.C. and Florida. His job takes him to both places every week, and I understand, and I was thankful that his plane, brand-new plane, it's adorable, and it has not only leather, everything gorgeous inside, it's got an airplane parachute. I said, yay, hope you don't have to use it, but at least we know it's there. That's a soft landing. John, thank you so much for the intro to the industry. Very appreciated. And now, 
Torsten Welty. I haven't forgotten you, Torsten, as I said, as the global VP and head of aerospace and defense at SAP. And he has sent us a very serious quote from uh, two gentlemen named Giuseppe Cocconi and Philip Morrison. Let me just give you a little background. They wrote a paper in 1959 called Searching for Interstellar Communications. Everybody put on your, your 3D brain helmet and think about Star Wars and Star Trek. Yes, yes, yes. Published in 1959, September. This was one of the first formal rational arguments. That's right. I said rational Rational arguments supporting the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Of course, we have to mention E.T. Giuseppe Cocconi, who lived until 2008, was a director of the Proton Synchrotron at CERN, C-E-R-N in Geneva. He worked, he went to Cornell. He was invited to Cornell University. And with Philip Morrison, he wrote this most famous paper. And it was on the 21-centimeter hydrogen line, which turned out to be of vital importance in the SETI program. You can look it all up because I don't have a clue. But here is the wonderful quote Torsten has selected from their paper. The probability of success is difficult to estimate. But if we never search, the chance of success is zero. Seems so obvious, like the hand in front of me. Torsten Welty, how are you today? And welcome to Game Changers. Good morning, Bonnie, and thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. Thank you. And yeah, as I said, um, or as you said, it's a very inspiring quote uh, because there's so many things in life that um, always wanted to say no, um, and so many people trying to push back. And it's always good to, to be inspired by leaders of the industry that make things fly, pe- put people in space. And uh, if you don't ask, you don't get a yes. That's my, my other little theme in, in life. And uh, sometimes you have to have a really good um, vision and a good mantra to, to push forward in, in this world. So that's why I choose uh, this quote for today. So, so I tell you... Me. Oh, we're delighted to have you. Torsten, tell me how it applies to A&D. John already did a nice setup, level setting for us on what the industry means, what it's made up of, who's in the industry. So what are we talking about? We're talking about, I know, the improvement of the technology infrastructure. I dabbled, dabbled a little couple of, uh, threw out some nice words like AI and 3D printing and cloud and analytics. So what about this effort in the A&D industry is if you don't try, you'll, you'll never succeed. Talk to me about how this relates to our industry today yeah absolutely uh, and it, it's, it's it's a great segue in in regards to uh, many many of the people that designed airplanes right had to overcome all these physical challenges to put uh, these heavy aircraft in into the air right or mm-hmm. put air uh, rockets into space and bring people actually safely back so from a product perspective all the engineers that are out there are completely inspired every day to look for the opportunity, to look for the things to be improved, to look things to be better. Um, for our industry and the people we work with uh, that produce the, uh, those equipments and help the engineers to, to put it up and in, in, into use, um, we also need to be inspired by, yes, we can make things work. Let, yes, mm-hmm. look for new innovations, look new technology. And as uh, John so nicely said, look for the right applications that they bring value back to it. Uh, and in, in our overall discussions, a lot of people um, all over the world um, have the tendency to say, let's do what we do well as we do it today or we did it in the last 25 years. And it is always a kind of a, 
a roadblock in the discussion in in the things to be moved forward um, and this this quote really inspires me and the people I work with uh, to really push for new improved things looking for the next improvements looking how technology can help produce things better um, cheaper and um, help all of us to be safer in the air and coming from point A to point B. Thank you. Very eloquent as well. Now I'm going to circle back to Mr. Schmidt at Accenture. And, John, I'm going to ask you a couple of personal questions, answer at your own risk, I should say. (laughs) Where are you calling from? I don't need the Google Map coordinates to look down on the roof. Where are you calling from? What city, what state, what country? And what are you drinking? Uh, This is called What's in Your Cup Today. What are you drinking now that makes you happy, or what would you rather have in your cup? Talk to me. Well, I'm coming uh, to you right now from Chicago, Illinois, where I am based and uh, where I lead the global practice uh, from Chicago. It allows me to get to anywhere in the U.S. and really anywhere around the world uh, pretty directly on uh, one of two different airlines. And in my cup right now is something pretty uh, mundane for uh, a Thursday morning. It's a a cup of uh, Sumatra coffee. But what I'd rather be drinking, and Mm -hmm. at this time of year my mind often kind of floats to the mountains and particularly Jackson Hole, and if I were sitting in the mangy moose today at 4.30 having a nice uh, IPA, uh, that would be what I'd prefer to have in my cup right now. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds delicious. Thank you for your candid answer. I hope Chicago's not too windy today. Pretty calm here in New York. And Torsten Welty at SAP, where are you calling from and what what are you drinking or what would you rather be drinking? Yeah. So I'm in Philadelphia or Newtown Square here at SAP. Um, I'm officially residing actually in Seattle. So my drink of choice usually in the morning at this time of the day is uh, a latte. Um, I, since I live in Seattle, we are very um, close and dear to good coffee. Um, and so today I also have a Seattle coffee here, um, trying to stay away from brands. But um, yeah, that's the typical morning drink. But the drink of choice um, is similar to John, since I grew up in Germany and actually several of my family members have a brewery. Um, I have to also go to a, a beer, but uh, my beer of choice is actually a Pilsner because it has a much higher quality and much more structured taste to it. Mm, family of brewmasters. Wow. Do you want to drop a name? of? Is there a brewery name? Is there a special uh, brand or a label or a flavor you'd like to tell us? Um, yeah, most of the breweries in Germany are family-owned. Uh, one of our family members that has one is a very small um, family-owned brewery that's been around since 1720. Um, mm-hmm. It's a family name, Teufel. Uh, and they actually won several quality rewards over the last couple of years for, for their little brewery and their brew master that is working uh, their Pilsner. So um, they're doing a fantastic job. As, as they say, they're small, but great quality. Thank you very much. You are allowed to drop brand names on the show, so we appreciate that. Thank you to both of you. I did cheat and have a little bit of full caffeine coffee this morning, but that was a few hours ago. I think it's already dissipated. So what they allow me to have, John and Torsten, is just cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug. And in celebration of the sunshine and the melting snow here in New York, well, not quite yet, but it's going to be 60 on Sunday, so we should see a little more melt. I have a pink straw in honor of the sunshine, and it's pouring in the window here of my office 
here on Long Island, New York, and I'm delighted to be speaking to both of you. I'm looking forward to learning a lot more. Our topic today is aerospace and defense manufacturing. What is shaping the future? We have two experts here sharing their knowledge, their insight, their passion for the industry. Speaking with John H. Schmidt, Managing Director at the Global Aerospace and Defense. He's the lead at Accenture. And if you want to join us on Twitter, by the way, we're at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. And we're also joined by Torsten Welty, Global VP and Head of Aerospace and Defense at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. How about that? So don't even think of touching your mouse, that mouse, that app, that dial. However you're tuning in, we want you to stick around a lot more you're going to learn along with me. So I'm just simply going to say, Michael, out. The manufacturing world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly industry leaders address new trends, overcome new challenges, and take advantage of new technologies. The aerospace, chemicals, high-tech, and industrial sectors are at the forefront of transforming manufacturing operations to truly change the game. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how innovations are driving new challenges and trends across various manufacturing sectors. The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers. We certainly are here, and I have to do a shout-out to the three gentlemen who are sponsoring this series at SAP. We have Dave Parrish, Denver Dave, and we have Thomas Pohl, who is putting together the show for us today. Thank you. And Stefan Gertzkin, who is going to be focusing on the chemicals industry, and that will be his topic in about three weeks here on this series. My very special guests today are John H. Smith at Accenture and Torsten Welty at SAP. We're talking about aerospace and defense manufacturing, focusing on the manufacturing manufacturing aspect. What is shaping the future? All of this good technology. What's going on with the infrastructure? What's going on with the investments? What's going on with the workforce, perhaps? Let's get started on our roundtable. And I'm going to read from the notes John H. Schmidt sent me before the show. He says, at the simplest level, A&D companies are fitting Internet of Things, IoT, into their current business models to reduce cost and support growth through, quote unquote, making and, quote-unquote, using IoT. Very interesting perspective. I love the use of the quotes. John, why don't you please run with this? Well, thanks, Bonnie. And I think, you know, what we're seeing a lot of in aerospace and defense is, uh, is, is talk around IoT and Internet of Things and what it's going to mean. And, in fact, last year we did some research that showed that over half of the aerospace executives believed that Internet of Things was going to cause significant change, with a third of them believing it was going to cause a complete transformation. We found that very interesting. And this year followed it up with some more research where we found that two-thirds of the aerospace companies are actually making comprehensive investments in digital technologies to support their strategy. And Internet of Things is one of the central focus. And what I mean by you know, doing things kind of at the simplest level you know, today with making, and uh, I use quotes on purpose, I'm glad you caught that, Bonnie, and, uh, mm-hmm. and using, is 
on the making side, you know, we have a number of examples of companies putting in sensors to be able to capture data of in-service product and, and being able to tie that data back into engineering to be able to inform the engineers of how that product is really working out in the field, to be able to improve on the designs, in some cases improve on the manufacturability and quality of the products themselves at anything from the overall aircraft or engine level all the way down in some cases to subsystems. And so that's the kind of Internet of Things kind of helping on the making side of the equation that we're seeing out there. On the using side, this gets a lot more press and a lot more people are you know, kind of familiar with you know, the data that comes off the aircraft or comes off the engine. We take mm-hmm. that data. We can use that data to understand that there may be a component that is going to uh, potentially need to be replaced sooner than it might normally have to be. In fact, we had some first examples of this with real in-stream aircraft and an airline fleet happening a couple of years ago uh, with um, you know, some of the technologies that were out there. And, and now we have companies like Lufthansa, which I think are actually taking it to uh, another level. They're using real-time aircraft, airport, and weather sensor data to improve on-time performance and optimize their operations by aggregating all this data and then being able to focus on trying to provide that consistently excellent customer service as a result of bringing these pieces of data together. And that's an example of what I mean on the using of the uh, IoT. Very, very interesting. You know, when we think of airline, aerospace, anything to do with getting off the ground, off of cars and rails and roads, we we don't typically asso- associate what we like to think of as a delightful customer experience, John. A- am I right? We think, oh, goodness, long lines, airports. I won't even talk about travel restrictions today. But the idea that they're using it to improve the, the delivery time to improve the efficiency, to make it better for everyone. I don't know anybody who wouldn't appreciate that. Do you think everybody realizes that there's a lot of IoT embedded in what the airlines are doing today, that the data is flowing and they're trying to make more efficient, I'll call it delivery or performance? Do you, do you think that the public knows that there are so many sensors and so much data involved? Well, I, I suspect that majority of the regular flying public does not know that. In fact, what they're more concerned about is what happens when there's disruptions. So yes. when there's a flight that's late because of weather, for instance, well, that has a ripple effect that could impact the customer experience that the airline has to deal with in terms of crew scheduling, aircraft mm-hmm. scheduling, uh, connections. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of things that have to go on on the operations side of an airline. And when we can start taking the data off of these mm-hmm. products, and in fact, you know, IoT is been defined many, many ways, and in my, my simple definition, it's really just the universe of industrial products that are communicating with each other and with people, and we use that communication of data to be able to provide a result. So I don't think the regular flying public is too concerned about the IoT and where the data is coming from. They are concerned about the results and if uh, the airlines can follow through on the promise of minimizing uh, their personal disruptions when things happen. Very well put. You are eloquent, sir. I appreciate that. Torsten Welty, I know you have a lot to say. Chime in here, please, about what John introduced as our first roundtable topic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and John, you're, you're spot on. Most of the people don't even know what's happening behind the curtain when disruption happens. Is it with the, the airlines? Is it with manufacturing? All those things are just a, a pain for people when things don't happen the way they are supposed to happen. And the, the most critical thing, as John said, is to make a quick, fast, uh, educated decision so that that pain can go away. Um, and IoT or other technologies to gather that information 
and sword-throated information is critical in pulling all the different strings together. Um, I was um, really surprised when I once had the, the insight on how many people actually a couple of years ago at, at United were actually trying to coordinate uh, the fact if an airplane had to be switched out. Um, there, I was told the number of 200 people are sitting on phones calling each other and, and talking through the process of synchronizing each other's answer to find what's the right decision to do uh, to swap this airplane out and get everybody rebooked and put back on a plane and get them to the destination in as close as time as possible. Technology can help, you know, eliminate uh, the, the time gap and also eliminate the fact when um, you are having hundreds of people talk to each other, um, there can be so many miscommunications uh, from a timing perspective, from an understanding perspective, and also to 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 optimize uh, the ever changing uh, you know events that happen in in a very long timeline. Um, technology can really assist these people to find what's optimal, how to put things in place, and guide them through the day um, in making the right decision so that. They can find the right airplane that needs to be put in, the right crew that needs to put in, the right fixes that need to happen, and so that uh, we as passengers or we as people that um, work in a manufacturing floor can actually do our job that we want to do, right? And technology can really, as I said, assist in that area. IoT is one of the, the key elements to gather that information. Um, as I said, um, navigate through the big sets of data that are out there, and then help uh, at the end to make the right decision and get us back on track. Thank you, Torsten. Good comments. John, anything you want to add to what Torsten just shared with us? No, I think I think Torsten's right, and, he's, and where he ended is a spot on as well. I think today you know, a lot of companies are, are working with IoT, and the technology and the capability is, is beyond what we're doing with it today. And so our, our, our vision of what's possible today is really being to some degrees, bounded by you know what I use as the quote, bounded by what we can see in our line of sight, what we can put a business case against, what we can get support and, and stakeholder uh, support for, and I think as we go over the next year or two, you know, into the future, we're going to see you know brand new uses of these technologies and being able to link products and people and processes together in, in, in really new, novel, and interesting ways. Thank you. I'm envisioning self-driving autonomous planes, and I really don't want to go there. I, I think we're happy, happy with what we have. I mean, we have a, a series, uh, John and Torsten, you may not know this, but one of our 29 Game Changers radio series is called The Future of Cars with Game Changers. You can imagine what we talk about on that show in terms of autonomous driving and the testing and the ethics and the etiquette and all that good stuff. We'll stick with A&D as, as IoT, helping the humans. I like that a lot. Torsten, I'm looking at your notes here. We'll couple places we can go. Uh, managing the introduction of innovations better. Let, let's focus on innovations here. You say long development and manufacturing process and many innovations are introduced through this process, um, collaborating with the customer and the suppliers more effectively to reduce innovation introduction costs, trends to increase more software in the final products, changes of innovations are faster. This is These are a lot of uh, cliff notes for me, so I want you to expand these please and tell us how is technology helping to introduce innovations better and faster for us in A&D. Torsten? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, if we pick up on exactly what we were talking about, autonomous flying, um, you would actually be surprised um, that the majority of the airplanes fly on their own on autopilot, uh, which we take for granted and don't realize, but it's already there. But if we take that as an example, right, um, the autopilot has been, or the airplane and the autopilot has been in a development cycle for 10, 15 years to be improved, to be put out there. Uh, it takes somewhere around five, seven years to to develop a new plane, right? So that's a very, very, very long time. And most of our products in the aerospace and defense world have a similar uh, development cycle. Uh, very long. If you think of what happened actually in the last five, six years, right? Um, mm-hmm. Seven years, if you go back, um, iPhones were introduced seven years ago. Um, look at that journey, what happened as innovations on the iPhone, what we can do on the iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those kind of cycles also happening in software and hardware. And if you look at a development cycle of five to seven years, right, for, for new aircraft, lots of things are changing. Lots of things have to be coordinated all across. Lots of things have to be coordinated with engineering, with manufacturing. And when do you bring the next release of an autopilot into the cockpit? Is that, you know, the right, what's the right time? What's the right cost associated with it? Are we in the right communication with all of our suppliers to coordinate all these different things? Software itself is probably less of, of a critical path uh, in that to coordinate. But if you think of, you know, changing uh, physical hardware components on a wing or on in the fuselage, uh, that creates a, a, a coordination and communication between the engineers, the manufacturers, the suppliers, and the supplier of the supplier. And to introduce new innovations that can really make the plane fly quieter or faster or more safer, those things are going to come at our customers more and more over the next couple of years, and they have to manage the process in a way that they can identify when to introduce these innovations, how fast they can introduce it, and not to the expense of, you know, adding more cost to it. Because we all want to fly with a, you know, a cheap ticket, and at the end, the cost of an airplane will, you know, reflect somewhere on the ticket cost. So we will all benefit from it not only from a safety perspective, but if our, our customers can coordinate that, that process with data, with the right communication, with technology, that innovation introduction will much more streamlined than it is today, where you would be surprised. Uh, a lot of phone calls still happening, a lot of mm-hmm. you know, information being shared through emails and other means. And um, in this area, in this um, century, we're really looking to utilize more and more technology to help our customers in that area. Thank you very much. I have a question for both of you. I'm going to uh, bounce this topic back to John Schmidt in just a second. My question is, yesterday on another one of our series, it was my uh, flagship series, Coffee Break with Game Changers, the topic was 
retail, the future of retail, digital dinosaurs versus digital survivors. Can we apply that to A&D, to airlines? Let me, uh, let me bounce this over to John Schmidt first. John, are any of the airlines actually behind the curve? Are they ignoring or denying the need to become digital savvy industry that will be ahead of the curve and use, as Torsten was saying, use everything to coordinate Everything that's happening from the manufacturing to the customer experience before, during, and after. So is there any such thing as a digital dinosaur in, in the airline industry, in A&D space, John? You know, it's an interesting question. And, and uh, let me maybe take a step back and give you kind of my perspective. I believe that the industry, aerospace industry, and the airlines uh, most likely as well are, are probably being a little bit slow and behind the curve at actually capitalizing on the digital technologies that we have at our disposal today. Which is ironic, because in many cases, this industry, the aerospace industry in particular, invented many of the technologies that we're talking about today that are being used in other industries, and in other industries for manufacturing, and other industries for delivering products and services. I'll give you two examples. You know, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about today and how we're using connected worker and providing real information to a worker, hands-free, using, uh, say, a, a HoloLens or glass so that an, an employee working on an assembly line can actually see an augmented reality view overlaying the actual CATIA 3D model on what that person's working on, say it's on inside the fuselage or the wing. Well, that is really, in effect, really what a heads-up display was, invented in the 50s, you know, popularized in aircraft in the 60s. So, you know, here we are inventing cool technologies that are just now being used in new ways to help us drive, you know, more manufacturing efficiencies, in the current world. Another one would be 3D printing. We talk about that a lot. Uh, we used to call it additive manufacturing when I started working in aerospace back in the 80s, and it was in the model shops. Uh, now, not nearly the same uh, capability as we have today, mm-hmm. the material sciences and, and the ability to work at, at greater scale today than we had then uh, is phenomenal. But there's 3D printed parts now flying around on all kinds of aircraft. Uh, the new Leap engine is using 3D printed you know, nozzles for the engine, a nozzle that really is combining it, what would have been a number of different parts into a geometry that I'm actually told would be almost impossible to machine if it weren't 3D printed. So I think the industry in some ways is, is slow to adapt, and that may be you know, tied to what Torsten was talking about in terms of the heritage and, and frankly, the, the keen focus on safety and everything we do in this industry, whether we're building an airplane or we're building a, a rocket to launch payload or people into space or anything in between. And yet, are the industry that has generated a tremendous number of these you know, advances, if you will, in technologies that are going to be very impactful for us in the coming years. John, I don't know whether to jump up and down and say, yay, technology, or say, OMG, are you serious? We're, be- we're flying in planes with parts printed on a 3D printer? Come on, there was a, a lady, at, uh, a young student at Harvard a couple of years ago said she was going to 3D print a line of lipsticks, and everybody was wondering, what will they feel like when you put them on your lips? She had the color spectrum, she had the, the, the charts and everything, and it was going to be a wow. We know that 3D weapons, guns are being printed. We know that body parts are being printed, prosthetics are being printed, which is a strange word to use when you think of something coming out that's, that's not flat on a piece of paper. So you're telling me that plain parts are actually being created. Is this something we should be saying, wow, it, it's in more 
it's more cost effective. It's replacement effective. Uh, the turnaround for if you have the sensors to tell you a part is going to fail before you put that plane into into the air, that somebody nearby could use that 3D printer to replace the part and not disrupt the traveler's flow of their day. So is this a good thing, do you think? Is this really, really safe? Come on, I'm, I'm looking for some assurance here, John Schmidt. No, I, I think it is absolutely safe. I mean, again, there's been a tremendous number of advances in the material sciences that are the core of all this, and there's a number of examples of what we're doing with 3D printers today. In fact, one of them that I used to quote, it's a little dated now, is that there's a, there's a titanium tank that is used to hold the fuel for a satellite. And that titanium tank, in the old way of manufacturing, if you were to use a, you know, traditional techniques to manufacture the, the two halves of the tank and put them together, it took something like 18 months to do. With a 3D printer, we can print that titanium tank and do it in about three months today. Same tank, same part, right, being able to be used in a new and different way, not literally the same part if we go to form, fit, and function, right, so all the engineers are listening to me, but, but the same, you know, part doing the same function on that aircraft, or that space, I'm sorry, that satellite, mm-hmm. it's, it's phenomenal. And uh, the GE uh, nozzle example I quoted is well known. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something that um, many people use. I don't see people, and Kirsten, I'd love to know your view on this, I don't see uh, companies now saying, oh, we have 3D printing, now let's go and redo everything and use a 3D printer to go do that. I think there needs to be a business case to make that happen. What I think is going to be happening more frequently is when engineering changes, some of the things Torsten talked about that are coming along, whether it's to improve the safety or reliability, quality, what have you, of the the harder sub-assemblies, Companies are going to consider moving to 3D printing to eliminate part count. Fewer parts, easier to manage, and in mm-hmm. most cases also less expensive to manufacture, to be able to improve geometry and be able to affect what that part does as a part of a sub assembly or an assembly in a, a more productive or more efficient, safer way. I think we're going to see that happening because where you went, Bonnie, is ultimately mm-hmm. where you know, the things may also go on the service and support side. Why stock a whole bunch of parts on an aircraft carrier mm-hmm. out at sea if I can print what I need when I need it. Point well taken. I appreciate it. I feel sort of safe. I'll call you next time I have to fly. You can check out the plane for me. Thank you very much, John. Torsten, we're talking about you. Uh, thoughts on what John just shared with us, the idea of 3D printing, anything and anything you want to share about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's... it's uh, not just a new technology, but it's also an opportunity for, for smaller companies to grow into the market. Um, it's a new way of, of looking at products like John shared. Um, the whole material composition, you can now use completely different materials. You can have different companies popping up that all of a sudden just focusing on materials that can be used for 3D printing. Uh, it's a new opportunity for new companies to just do 3D printing for it. Um, a lot of the parts actually in, in airplanes are much stronger than the, the, the traditional process of being um, manufacturing these parts. Uh, we have uh, examples that we've seen that really blew us away when we went to a small little company that does metal printing and they showed uh, the reduction of weight uh, and, and the durability of those products are much higher, right? The weight is lower, the, the durability is higher um, based on structures that are used, um, um, copied from Mother Nature, right? 
uh, how nature basically puts webs together and makes things stronger. And those kind of things can now be applied in, in the production of those things. So we will see over the next couple of years more of the application in it. Right now, it's very much like John said, in the R&D labs and some of the parts areas. Um, but as we see technology assisting the collaboration between engineering and the 3D printing manufacturers and, and the materials guys, we will see more and more coming uh, of that technology into the mainstream manufacturing and aftermarket area. And you'll be really surprised if you actually hold one of those 3D printed part, parts and you will really be in all way how light they are and um, how durable they are, and they look like the normal piece that you probably would see uh, coming out of the traditional CNC production or other production processes. Torsten, thank you. You have just hit a, a, a thought in me. Last night I watched on NOVA. I don't know if both of you, either of you are familiar with NOVA, a, a science-focused program on PBS. We watch it on Channel 13 here in New York. The program was called The Origami Revolution. I'm going to send this out to all of our listeners around the world. If you haven't seen this, you have to. And the reason I'm mentioning this is Torsten talked about looking to nature and how nature works and builds things. There is a, a young scientist in, I think he's at the University of Tokyo, I could be wrong, working with a young scientist at MIT here in the U.S., and they have developed a program called or, origamize, organize, not organize, organize, that can take any 3D shape you show the program and it will create a flat set of lines for the folds to create an object, even with curves and complex angles. Think of a teapot, a 3D teapot can be created out of one piece of paper using this program and it tells you where the solid areas are and where the parts you can fold underneath and the reason I'm mentioning this Torsten is that it's modeled on nature there are people around the world examining how nature creates things like the butterfly coming from the caterpillar in the cocoon and it unfolds did you know that a ladybug has a set of wings John did you know a ladybug has a set of of ephemeral looking wings underneath those two tiny red shells so when they fly it's not the red shells that are flying it's the wings that come out that are folded in against the body and they look at leaves and I'm wondering if this very very interesting Interesting, Torsten, that you mentioned looking at nature. There are scientists who are doing exactly that, and nature comes from a series of folds. Torsten, have you seen the program, the the Origami Revolution? I have not seen it. I've heard about it um, because I've uh, spent quite a bit of uh, folding things, origami uh, swans for for my daughter. So I have uh, great experience, uh, you know, doing these little folding things, um, but I have not seen the show. I've heard about it. Um, look it up. It's on. It, you can find it on it Nova. Google it. There is a link, and the program is available online on demand. John, have you seen the show? I've not seen the show, but I did know that ladybugs have wings under those shells. I did not know that. They show that they're actually creating DNA, parts of DNA, to be able to fight 
diseases, chronic diseases like cancer, using this folding model, the concept of replicating parts of our DNA to fight against disease or, or eliminate disease. It's absolutely fascinating. So, Torsten, thank you. Sorry for the sidebar, gentlemen, but I was so intrigued by the idea of looking at nature. That was what you said, Torsten, and how it's helping to... I wouldn't be surprised if they come up with origami models for some new airplane parts, John, at some point. And by the way, these are so strong. They made a uh, like a, a web, I would say a fan. Uh, what am I talking about? It was just a structure that was about two inches tall, and they ran a car over it, and it did not collapse. Did not collapse. This thing was about a foot long, and they ran a car over it. It was two inches tall. Made out of, they could make it out of paper, metal, but I digress. Let's talk about young talent. I'm looking at Torsten's notes. We still have a little bit of time here. Torsten and John, I'll start with Torsten. Inspiring the workforce and attracting young talent. A&D needs to get this energy into their programs. Uh, and you talk about many programs are governed by security. The work at A&D comes with challenges. The young workforce has a different model for sharing their successes. So can you interpret all of this for me, Torsten? I'm looking at your notes. What about the young attracting young talent into the A&D industry, the A&D manufacturing? And then we'll have John comment. Torsten? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's exciting, actually. We, we, the, the aerospace defense industry is kicking in a little bit more of communication out there, what's happening in the industry. Like um, your example, going back, if you actually look at the uh, Boeing website, they came out last year with this fantastic new structure of metals that is much stronger and it's mimic based on nature as well. So those kind of things, those new innovative ways in the airplane, uh, in the space area, are very, very exciting. Um, certain companies that push out those new innovations and talk about them um, are getting more in the forefront of innovations. That triggers actually within universities uh, the pull-in of the talent that they need to come up with the next set of innovations. What we see with, with the current generation, they're very much um, attracted by the Googles, the Facebooks, uh, those kind of companies that are, you know, high potential, the Ubers, uh, you come in, you're part of a really successful big company, you can talk about what you're doing, you, you, you're in the forefront, you're attached with a high brand, and you, you can be one of the cool kids, you can be like a rock star, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you sometimes work in a defense company, for example, um, many people know from their parents when when they work on some defense programs, the stealth technology or space or rockets or other things that their parents went to work. Nobody knew where they went to work. They were quiet. They couldn't talk at home what they were working on. Uh, and, and that kind of, uh, you know, secret work is still going on in the defense world. So it's a little bit hard for younger uh, people to come in and say, hey, I worked on program X and, you know, this is really cool. Everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to be on the iPhone and communicate. Uh, those programs sometimes have boundaries where, you know, you have to have super secure communication. So, well, mm -hmm. you go and step back to the 80s, you get a BlackBerry. Um, mm -hmm. You are in a confined area where you cannot 
talk about the great innovation that you found in stealth technology or in other things, or you put the IT landscape in place for a program. Uh, so the fame, the, the rewards, those kind of things, that, um, can, you know, immediate reward for these people is just not there. And so the, the attraction of people that looking for this is really, really hard. Um, the whole industry needs to rethink how they interact with their workforce, create environments where you can collaborate. Uh, we see that in several companies that they change the offices from, uh, you know, cubes to open space where it's allowed more to collaborate, to bring people in to share new ways of collaborating and actually the old engineers accepting the younger engineers' idea and moving things forward. Uh, those kind of cultural changes need to happen and happening currently. Uh, technology can help in the collaboration, can also help uh, younger employees to get up to speed, to actually, you know, talk and communicate with uh, the more senior engineers and, and actually be then part of the fabric and feel included. But, um, yeah, the, the image of the aerospace defense industry is is not to the level as some of the um, software technology companies that is out there. And um, we've seen recently a shift because 50% of the workforce in the aerospace defense U.S. is probably retiring over the next five to six years. And that's a scary little thought. Uh, that so much knowledge is moving away. So we need to rethink as an industry how we attract people, how we recruit them, how we train them, how we put programs in place that fits the way younger generations learn. It's not a class. It's, you know, individual-based training based on knowledge, based on progress, based on their own speed to the fact of how do we promote them, how we you know, move them to the companies, how do we interact with them, communicate with them. And uh, that generation grew up with technology and has a certain expectation to technology. And that's where the aerospace defense world needs to shift dramatically to endorse technology being um, a very core to their fabric, to their DNA, so that they can basically built infrastructure that the younger generations are successful, that have access to the data. And looping back to the IoT piece, they have access to all the data that it can be assisted in their decision making and not feel like, oh, I'm making the wrong decision because I you know, I have never faced this situation. So mm -hmm. technology can be a great, great lever for A and D to be super successful uh, across all the different areas. Thank you very much. First, and I want you to clarify one thing for me, please. You said 50% of the U.S. A&D industry workforce will retire in the next five to ten years. Is that accurate? Yeah, they're eligible for retirement um, in the next five to six years. Um, and it's um, years. you can actually look it up. Um, the CEO of Boeing actually had mentioned that two years ago. Um, and it's it's really in a mind-boggling um, Absolutely. A piece of information. Thank you. I want to get John's thoughts on this. John, is this is uh, Torsten said this is a Googleable statistic. How how bad is the impact, and uh, what's your thought on what the industry is doing to attract new talent? Uh, I'll say two things. First of all, it's uh, 
you know, that number is the people eligible for retirement, which is different right. than saying they're all going to choose that option. I mean, I changed my tweet. Yes, eligible to retire. Thank yeah, you. It's a, it's a, been, that, that overhang has been in the industry now for several years, and we haven't seen what we, you know, we were coining the phrase the gray tsunami of people retiring. So we'll mm-hmm. see, you know, how many actually uh, elect to do that. But what I was going to do is take, take this a little different direction. I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. the type of workforce, not just how we attract the workforce, but the type of workforce that's going to be quite different in the future. And if you want to have really an eye-opening experience, if you go up to uh, visit Boeing in, in Seattle, go to the Renton plant where the 737 is made, and you'll see people crawling all over that aircraft as they're, they're making those 730s and they're putting out more than one a day. Then go up to Everett and look at the brand-new wing assembly line that they've established, which is really automated and has a, a far fewer people running around, but they're using way different, way newer technologies. And I think when we look forward, the type of worker that, that we're going to be needing in the future in aerospace, not just at a Boeing, but at, at all levels, is going to need to be much more agile, much more technically savvy and comfortable picking up, leveraging new technologies on a much more frequent basis than we ever saw in the past. And I think that's going to be one of the real differentiators. And the good news is that the people who are graduating now grew up with technology. I mean, they grew up, you know, adopting mm-hmm. new things. They're not the ones who are saying, oh, my gosh, I just got a new phone from a new manufacturer. How do I figure this thing out? <laughs> they look forward to getting the new phone from a new manufacturer and figuring it out and playing with stuff. So we're kind of in a good space, and it's a good thing because we're going to need those agile workers as we go forward bringing in these new technologies, IoT and automation, robotics, all this stuff that we talk about. And I think that's one of the things I think is going to be very exciting. So not just attracting them, because certainly that is something that needs to be dealt with, but the type of workers. And our research actually shows that companies are on top of this now, and they're making investments now, and making sure they're ready to, to accept and support these new types of workers. Thank you. And you know what? We are officially in the middle of our crystal ball predictions round, and it was such a good conversation. I didn't want to interrupt the two of you. I think you just gave us a prediction there, John H. Schmidt. But I'm going to ask you if you'd like to add two sentences because we're, oh, we got a minute and a half left. I want to give Torsten a two-sentence wrap-up. So, John Schmidt, Accenture, it's been great talking to you. What's your two-sentence prediction for A&D manufacturing shaping the future at 2020? Where will it be? Talk to me fast. We're going to see a lot more elements of automation, 3D printing, augmented reality. We're going to see a very liquid workforce that can shape itself to fit the needs of an expanding and changing industry and the technologies used within it. And I think I'll just say those are the two biggest things I think we're going to see in the 2020. Thank you. Well done. Torsten Welty, two sentences. Be brief. Not a long paragraph. Two sentences. Go. <laughs> no. Very quick. I think we'll, we will be um, tremendously inspired by uh, the things that are happening, going to space, going to Mars, those are things that are coming back. So we'll see a lot of technology moving into our commercial space by the inspiration that happens uh, in, in similar to the 1960s when we went to the, the moon. Thank you to the moon and back. Thank you both, gentlemen. John H. Schmidt at Accenture. Such a pleasure to speak with you. Ditto for Torsten Welty at SAP. And a shout-out to Thomas Pohl at SAP. And he's been tweeting at A-E-R-O-P-O-H-L. How appropriate that handle, Thomas. Thomas is the one who brought us this topic and engaged John and Torsten for the panel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. What an interesting topic. I learned a lot, and I know our listeners around the world will if they are going to be listening on demand in a couple of hours. And a shout-out also to David 
Parrish and Stefan Gertzkin, part of the team that sponsors this series, Manufacturing of the Future. Shout out to Michael, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel. He's telling me we have one minute left, and I will tell you that we're going to be speaking at 2 p.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel. I'll be back with Utilities of the Future with Game Changers today, sponsored by James McClellan at SAP. If you know him, yes, he does smile. I promise you he will smile on the radio. Talking about the aging workforce in the utilities industry. How's that for a segue from what we just talked about? So here's my call to action, everyone. You know what it is, but listen up. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer like John H. Schmidt at Accenture and like Torsten Welty at SAP and like Michael at the Business Channel and like me. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.